0: we just thank you for this opportunity to come together and and look at your word and study. We ask you to show us what you would want us to see from all of this, and we just ask your blessing and leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Second Kings chapter 12, we're continuing the reign of Josiah, and remember last chapter, Athaliah, uh, when her son got killed, decided to try to kill off all the royal line. Uh, Josiah was hidden away. And she reigned for ten uh, for seven years. And when Josiah was seven years old, Jehudiah, Jehudiah raised up uh, Joash to be the leader. So this and uh, we had them declare him leader last chapter. So now in verse one of chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehosh, Jehoash began to reign. And 40 years reigned in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zimbiah of Beersheba. And Joash did which was that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days wherein Jehudiah, the priest, instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. The very first part of this is two chapters ago we had Jehu die, and we're just going to bring this up and probably each time it shows up. Uh, the Book of Kings takes one king all the way to the end of his life. And if another king in this other, on the southern or northern, depending on which one you're on, starts reigning. before he dies, they jump back in time to that king and take that king out to their, their entire life. And then they'll jump back to <laughs> the other kingdom. And they keep doing this. So sometimes it gets very confusing reading this because of the way they... They do that. So I'm just going to keep reminding us. Even Joe, we had Jehu die two chapters ago, we're coming back to a place where he's still alive. Uh, so, but that's just the format of this book. Rather than bounce back and forth in the kingdoms during their life, they just take them all the way to the end and come back to that next king. Um, and it says that Joash began reigning in the seventh year of Jehu when he's seven years old, and he's going to reign for 40 years. So it means he's going to reign to age 47. Uh, so, And very interestingly in verse 2 it says, And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days when wherein Jehadiah the priest instructed him. So when he had the priest helping him, he stayed righteous. And in this case he's, he's looking at Jehadiah kind of as his father because Jehadiah has been raising him. Uh, he was rescued out of the palace, and, you know, when he was an infant, taken into the tabernacle by Jehudiah's wife, and raised up as their son for seven years, and kept in hiding so that Ahithophel would not know that there was a royal seed left. Because remember, she tried to kill out the entire family, all of her, all of her sons, grandsons, anybody who might claim the throne. She, she had executed, and he just managed to get away because of God's providence. You know, God said there's going to be a seed of David sitting on the throne forever, and so he had to be rescued. And so he was rescued, and while Jehadiah lives, he's a good king. Now, he's a king that does well. He is passionate about God and, and setting up God in the kingdom. He rules well. And when Jehadiah dies, he starts making bad decisions. And this is something that is very important for us. Who is our mentor? Who do we go to for advice when it's on spiritual things? And we all need somebody that we go to and say, I need help, I need direction. uh, As we grow, maybe a little less uh, in Joash's uh, uh, part, he needed it and didn't continue. <laughs> but our goal is that the more we get to know God, the more we don't need our mentor all the time. And that's the true fact of mentoring. You don't. You want to get to the place where your, your mentor almost isn't needed, but you still have them there if you need help. And so Jehoash is going to do very well. Jehoash is going to do very well until his mentor dies, his father figure in, in this case. And... Then it says there was one very important thing. We see this statement four or five times in the book of Kings, but the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. That means the temples of the idols were not destroyed. Uh, and this is a kind of an interesting thought. These temples and high places were built way back in Solomon's day. And Solomon built four or five temples to the gods other than God, as well as God. He built the, the big temple. But he also built these other temples for his wives. And eventually found himself worshiping in their temples. And, and we've kind of made fun of this. Even though the Bible doesn't say it, we kind of know that what happened. Oh, Solomon, you never go to my temple. Why, why don't you ever go with me to my temple? You know, and it just wore him down. And eventually he probably said, well, I'll go once. And, and then once he said yes to one, he had to keep going to the others. And then the further away from God he got, the more he started going to the other temples. But these temples are going to be a snare to Israel or Judah. Because you've got temples to other gods all over the place in Jerusalem. And these temples would have been built up all over the place, not just in Jerusalem, but specifically Jerusalem's temples are not ever wiped out and, and destroyed. And he started out, remember, the very last chapter, he's destroying the temple of Baal, but he's not just going after Gamesh and, and all these other ones, Moloch and all these other ones that are out there. And he's not getting rid completely. He's doing a good job. He's building up the temple. He's getting people to worship God, but they still have an option out there, and they're taking advantage of that option so that they're not following God. And this is the funny thing about it. People will continue to seek after their own created gods when given a chance. And this is why when I hear parents say, well, I just want my kids to make their decision on what they're going to do, I go, and that is absolutely insane. They're going to choose a lie without your direction. My kids had no choice up until the time they left home about what they were doing on Sunday morning, or Sunday night, or Wednesday night. They were drugged to church. Now some of them wanted to be in church, some of them didn't want to be in church. But they were going to be exposed to the truth as long as they was going to be as long as they were in home. And there was none of this, well, we're just going to them, let them make their own choice. Because what are you saying as a parent when you say that? Well, I don't really believe that Jesus is the only way, so I'll let my kids go to hell. And I'm not going to allow that. My, I wasn't going to allow that in my family. You know, not, you know, and I don't want to see anybody else do that. You know, if they're going to live at home, then they need to be honoring God and looking toward God and being hearing about God. Joash allowed these other temples to stay in existence now he discouraged it he discouraged their worship and everything but he didn't destroy the temples and this is going to be a problem with all the good kings of, of Judah they don't destroy the high places so that people know, have options other than God and this has been a problem all the way through uh, this time verse 4 And Joash said to the priest, All the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passes the account of the money of that every man that is set at, and all the money that comes into the man's heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take it to them, every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, wheresoever any breach shall be found. And it was... And it was so that in the 23rd year of the king, Joash the, Joash, the priest had not repaired the breaches of the house. Then King Joash called Jehadiah the priest and, and other priests and said unto them, Why repair you not the breaches of the house? Now therefore receive no, money, no more money of your, of your acquaintance but deliver it for, for the breaches of the house. And the priest consented to receive no money for the people, neither to repair the breaches of the house. All right, so we're going to look at this, and I'm going to talk about this because Joash has the right idea in this. The temple has fallen into disrepair. He's telling the Jews, it's the, the priest, it's time to repair the temple. Now, the problem is, Joash goes a little bit too far on this because he tells them to take all the tithes and offerings coming into the temple and use them for repair. The only problem with that is in Numbers 18, all the gifts and tithes and offerings belong to the priests. That is their pay for being chosen by God, and it was not necessarily designed to be the upkeep of the temple. So... Joash Joash is going a little beyond his authority as king telling them to take all their money and repair the temple. Now if they had repaired the temple, it probably would have been done real quick. Uh, But he he starts reigning at seven years old and sixteen years later they still haven't repaired the temple. Uh, So they're being a little bit slow. Uh, And but in, you know, verse 4 it says, it says, all the money of the dedicated things that are brought into the house of the Lord, it says, used to, the, used to repair the temple. Now, this is, this is going to be a problem because how do the Levites get, pray, uh, get paid? If you remember way back when we studied numbers, the tithes and offerings that come into the church under into, into the temple belong to the Levites. So it would be split amongst all the Levites the Levites would take 10% of what they got and give it to the the tribe of Aaron. And the tribe of Aaron would give 10% of what they got and give it to the high priest. So there's an upward flow of the the money. They made lots of money when people were worshiping God and going to the temple. And when people weren't worshiping God, they didn't make very much money. And neither did they go to the temple. They stayed in their hometowns farming, farming land. You know, if they weren't going to get paid going to the temple, unless they were really dedicated, they didn't go to the temple. And so here, Joash is bringing everybody back. He's bringing everybody back to worship God, and the offering should have increased, and people... And this is a problem, even in today's world, the way money is used in the church can be a problem. And the sad thing is, in most churches, the and even in our church, even though I don't get paid much the staff get paid the largest chunk of money out of the, out of the budget. You know, because they're there, they're serving, they're doing things. And if you have a big church, you're sitting at about 25 to 30% of the money goes out to staff, you just have lots of staff. If you're in a small church, you've got about 25 to 30% of the money going out to the staff because you only have one staff, but you, you know, you're not bringing in all that much money either. But out of that money should also come the repair of the, the building and all the other things that come along. And for them, they weren't, up, they weren't maintaining the building. And it's not a surprise. Before, before Josiah came in, into, into reign, they were not worshiping in the temple at all. So there was not much money coming in at all, even though there were lots of Levites that needed money. Not much was coming in. And so they were taking what little they got Buying food, paying rent, uh, buying seed, you know, buying cattle, whatever it is they did to make a living. And the temple was going downhill, plus nobody was coming in to do any repairs. Josiah says, you take all the money that's coming in and repair the temple. Well, 16 years later, in verse 6, they still hadn't done any work. And this is kind of, uh, they had not repaired anything in in verse 6. So not only were they keeping all the money, they were not doing anything to repair the temple and make it a place of glory again. And this is something that is a big deal. Solomon's temple was built beautiful and had gold everywhere, and and this was breaking down. If you've ever lived in a house for any length of time, you know the house breaks down after a while if it's not taken care of, and they weren't fixing the, the cracks and, the, and all of that that was, that was happening and Josiah is saying there's a problem God's house is looking terrible and this is a problem with churches you know sometimes especially older churches they need paint they need repairs they need need all these things and this is one of the reasons we keep doing little things to improve the look of what we have the, and try to make it last it's built in 1907, and it, and it needs, to, needs nice, tender care every once in a while. And so we've been doing the painting. We've been doing the, the, the new new floors and stuff. So, but the temple wasn't getting that attention, and this was a problem. And for every year that it wasn't getting attention, it was getting worse. <laughs> and so after 23 years, or after 16 years, um, Josiah calls calls Jehoiah the the priest and the other priests and said to them, why have you not repaired the breaches or the damage to the house? And he goes, now therefore receive no more money. He goes, I'm not even giving you guys the option of taking any money. Before he was saying, take take what you need to live and, and fix the place. Now he's saying anything that comes in is going to the repair of the temple. This is where he's really gone over. I mean, it was bad enough that he was telling them how to use their income. Now he's going to go way overboard and say, you guys don't get to keep any of it. You're going to use it. The temple is going to be repaired. Now, if he had taken David's attitude toward this, who would have paid for it? The king's treasury would have paid for it because David took the money to build the temple, and he put away two-thirds of the money and, and stuff to, for the temple himself. He wasn't even going to, he wanted such a beautiful, ornate thing. He says, I'm going to dump it. And in today's money, David put away almost a billion dollars worth of gold and silver to build the temple by today's standards. I and mean, it they was talking about tons of gold and tons of silver that he put aside. And he arranged for the lumber to come down from Lebanon. And he did all this preliminary work. And, and then Solomon added to it, and then the people gave gifts. And for the second time in the, you know, in the Bible, they were told to stop giving. All right. Uh, So Josiah isn't quite following the paths of David and Solomon in this. And he's trying to tell the priest what to do with their, what belongs to them. And this is going to cause a problem. And it caused a problem. They're going, we're going to use our money the way we want to use it. And... Basically, he says, why haven't you done He says, now you're not going to get any more money. Whatever comes in, you're not going to have because we're going to use it to fix, fix the church. Uh, and in verse 8, it's kind of interesting. And the priest consented to receive no money for the people, neither to repair the breaches of the house. Basically, said, if we're not getting any money, we're not doing any work. Uh, kind of an interesting place. Now, they're going to probably still make the sacrifices because remember, when they sacrificed, one of the benefits of the sacrifice is they would skin the animal and the priest got to keep the skin, the the hide, that they could then sell, tan, whatever whatever their skill level was and use for themselves. They also got part of the meat from the offering. Uh, very rarely was there all the meat burnt on the o- offering. Very, just parts of it were burnt. They would get to take you know, part of it. And then uh, on Thanksgiving offering, half of it went back to the person. And they had a big party and, and praised God. So they're not going to starve to death as priests. But they basically said, if we're not getting any money, we're not doing any work on the, on the building at all. And so all of this work is going to Stop. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that these guys have that attitude. Uh, Now, one of the things about it is we've got to really understand is these guys are not necessarily called by God to be priests and Levites. They are born into the job. So sometimes these guys did not even want to be uh, doing the job that they're done. You know, you got a guy that wants to be a shepherd and and he goes, well, you're a Levite, you've got to go into the temple and do your do your four weeks a year in the temple. And when you're in the temple, you're going to be flaying animals and putting them on the on the altar. You're going to clean up everything. You're going to sweep the floors. And he's thinking, all I want to do is take care of the sheep out there in the fields. <laughs> or all I want to do is be plowing the fields at the at, at the at the home site. And you're and you're telling me now I've got to go do this job. And we as Americans don't understand that because we get to pretty much do whatever we want for a job. Uh, but there are places in this world where you do what you're told to do. You do what the family did. And for years in the middle, middle Ages, you were born a blacksmith. You were a blacksmith. Whether you liked it or not did not matter. You were a blacksmith. That's what your dad trained you to do. Especially the oldest would get to follow in their father's steps. Now, the second oldest son used, usually got to do a, a little more choice in their, in their life, but oftentimes they were raised the same thing. Uh, if you were the miller, you ground, you ground the wheat, and, and your sons helped you do that. If you were a farmer, you farmed the land, and, you, and there was this continuous, you did what your parents did, whether you liked it or not, did not matter. And so this was the case of the Levites. They were Levites. God had said, all the Levites are mine. <laughs> and David broke them up into 24 sections and they all served for two, two weeks a year uh, serving God. Or four weeks a year, two, two, times, of, two times of four, uh, two weeks. So that they would spend time taking time and the rest of the time they got to live in their, in their towns and just doing whatever it is they wanted to do. This was a interesting thing, and basically they're saying, oh, "I didn't want to be here anyway." And you know, and if you want this money, it's yours. We're, you don't want to give us money? Fine. We'll just take our we'll take our hides, we'll take our meat, and we'll do our two weeks, and we'll we'll go back home. And we're not going to worry about the temple. And this is the problem that's out there: is that when we're called to do a job, we need to do the job to the best of our ability. And these priests were saying. Okay. I'll do all the skinning you want. I'll do all the, you know, I'll sweep the, the temple out, but I'm not repairing it. Not not paid enough to be, be that. Now some of them may, may have been like me, you don't want me to repair anything because if I repair something, it's not going to stay up very long. Uh, so that may have been part of some of their people, you know, some of their problems. But Joash, after 16 years, is getting a little upset. The temple still is falling apart. They're not fixing anything. And he's coming in to worship and then probably getting worse with every year. And, you know, and he wants a beautiful building. And again, what should he have done was taken it out of the king's, king's money and given, given people to do it. But they come up with another idea. So in verse 9, but... but Jehudiah the priest took a chest and bore a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar to the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest that kept the door put therein all the monies that were brought in into the house of the Lord. And it was so when they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king scribe and high priest came up and they put it in bags and told the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they gave the money being told into the hands of them that did the work and that had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they laid it out to the carpenters and builders that wrought upon the house of the Lord, to the masons, to the hewers of stone, to buy timber, to hewed, the hewed stones, to repair the breaches of the house of the Lord, and for all that was laid up for the house to repair it. Howbeit there was not made for the house of the Lord bowls of silver, snuffers, Bassans, trumpets, any vessel of gold or silver of the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, but they gave that which to the to the workmen and and repaired therewith the house of the Lord. moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be bestowed on the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The trespass money and the sin money was not brought into the house of the Lord that was That was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was the priests. All right. So Jehoiada decided, okay, we're going to do something. We're going to make an offering. And he got a great big chest. They drilled a hole in the top of the chest. (laughs) And they said, this is where your money goes. It's going to go to to fix the temple. And they probably put a lock on it that nobody else had. And uh, so his idea was we'll just put a big chest on there, and people will be able to put money in there, and they'll know that that money is going to fix the temple and this is going to be a big deal because there were probably people who wanted the temple repaired and to me, this is the first uh, mention in the Bible of designated giving. <laughs> uh, we're going to tell we're going to give it to God, but we're going to tell the people in, in there how to what they're going to do with it and so this is what's going on. Every, every bit of this money that came in, they put into that little box, and it was to go for one thing, repair the temple. And it was set up on the right side as they came in. And remember, the right side is the side of approval. And when you read that in the scriptures, when it says about the right side is the side of approval. And verse 10, And when they, and when they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came up and they put it in bags and told the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So they, they would, told means that they would account, account they'd counted it. Just an old English word for it, they count it. So they'd, the scribe would come along, the high priest would come along and they'd count all the money in the, in the box and they'd put it in bags and however, whatever number was goes into each bag and start passing it out to the workmen. And so they could buy supplies and, and do their work. And so I guess they looked in there and they go, okay, we got the coins almost to the top. It's time to go <laughs> count the money. And, and the king scribe was there. He noted how much money was, was in there. The pre- high priest was in there so that the, there would be an honest integrity of counting the money. And this is important for churches that we have more than one person count the money so that there's integrity in it. And I, as a good pastor, I don't count the money. I don't want to know who gives. I don't want to know who's not giving. I don't, all I want to know is what the total of the money is so I, I can know how much are we hitting budget or not. But I really don't want to know who gives because I don't want to treat anybody differently because, oh, this is a giver. This is not a giver. Uh, and subconsciously that happens. If you know somebody is giving lots of money, you're gonna be more likely to try to treat them and meet, meet what they want. And here's a good example of what they're doing. The high priest would come in as the, as the leader of the, of the temple and the king scribe came in outside the priesthood and they would count this money and then it would be able to be distributed the way they needed it to be distributed. And that was good stewardship. It's a good plan. If we had a larger church, we would even break up the, the like most churches. Those who count the money would not be the ones writing the checks for the money. Larger churches will break up those rules, so that you've got one group, one one set of people counting, and another one that spends, and and that way, you now the one that spends could also be the one making the deposit. That's not a big deal, but they're not counting it, and. Because there's ways to be able to slip money out. You know, so you you try to make as much integrity as possible in, in this process. And it's very important that we have integrity and we know that we're above board and that everything is being monitored and, and checked out uh, and being handled correctly. Which is why we do our monthly meetings and check the balance of the Of the checkbook to make sure it matches the numbers being reported and and all of these things because churches oftentimes will have a treasure, if they're not watched, that will embezzle. (laughs) And oftentimes it starts innocently. I just need a few bucks, and they borrow it, and they pay it back. They borrow a few more the next time and pay it back, and then eventually they start borrowing and forgetting to pay back, and before long they, they owe more money to the church than then they can, can pay back. And about that time they're gonna get caught. And this happens in the business world. I worked for a company that uh, had fidelity, you know, fiduciary rights. They, they took tax money from, from businesses to, to pay it to the government and they started borrowing from that money. And eventually had borrowed so much money that they were having trouble paying the government agencies the money that they were supposed to get and finally went to jail because of the laws involved in that that process. But it's important. Being above board is so important and we try to do everything we can to be at high standards here so that we can be able to tell people this is what we're doing to protect the money you're giving, this is how we spend the money. You come to the quarterly business meetings, we'll tell you how we spent the money. Uh, we'll, we We are very thorough with that. Because I want people to be able to trust that when they give here, they know what, what it's being used for. It's not lining the, the treasurer's pocket. It's not lining my pocket. It's, it's being used for the kingdom of God. And it's very important for us to be able to have that integrity. And here we have that integrity. The scribe is coming and the high priest is counting this money and being able to use this money the way it was supposed to be used. Uh, or the way the king wanted it used in this case uh, and it says uh, he put it in bags and told the money verse 11 and they gave the money being counted for, accounted for or measured out in this case because that told is a different word in Hebrew into the hands of them that did the work and that had oversight of the house of the Lord and they laid it out to the carpenters and builders that did the work on the house of the Lord. So the, every time they would count this money, they were paying the carpenters and the rock masons, all right, the ones that were doing the work. And so they were paying them their weekly weekly pay, you know, they, by the way it makes it out, these guys were contractors, they were doing, they were the ones having to take the money and then go out and buy their stuff and everything. Uh, But it just, it says they gave it to them. And then verse 12 says, And to the masons and the hewers of stone to buy timber and hewed stones to repair the breaches in the house of the Lord. And for all that was laid out of the house of the Lord to repair it. So whenever they got money, they gave it to the workmen and the workmen did their work. And this is a beautiful picture. Joash wanted this to get done. So he's saying, all right, the priests aren't wanting to be builders. We're going to go hire builders and their money is going to come from the money coming into the temple. And Jehadiah, the high priest, is the one that finally said, okay, we'll just we'll make, a car, we'll make a big chest over there, and it is going to be where they give their money. And that chest idea has been the way that the synagogues have collected money ever since. Uh, in Jesus' day, they had great big, what they called, horns or trumpets that the people would pour their money into. And Jesus told, said the Pharisees, "You guys like to ring, uh, blow the horn, when you give give your offering, so that you could be seen. So what they would do is they'd take their, their great big coins and they'd make a bunch of little coins, so that it made lots of noise as it was being poured down these these uh, metal metal uh, horn uh, in, entries, and you know, and say, look at me, you know." Look, and they wouldn't say, "Look at me," but they poured it down, and, and they made sure that they, they would they made sure that when they poured it into that horn, it made as much noise as possible, so that people would see, "Oh, that, that's one of the that's one of the Pharisees putting money into the into the uh, offering." You know, listen, listen to that boy. They're giving they're giving a whole lot, and I'm not going to say they weren't. I mean, these guys were very well off, and they gave, but they broke it down to make it sound like they were making a really really big offering. And so this is the process that's going to go on for a long time, and we do the same thing in our church. We have the box in the back. We don't take up offerings for show. We don't do anything. We put it in the back where where it's quiet. We don't have a horn on it for people to be able to sound. But you know, uh, and I like it better that way. I like it better that people just drop off an offering without show, without feeling guilty, because. What ends up happening when you pass a plate around? People put in a couple dollars just because they feel guilty, and they didn't—they didn't want to put money in. They just—they put it in because a plate went past them. And in those, in when you pass a plate, you see lots of ones and fives and maybe up to twenties. Uh, you use the box, and you'll see checks and everything that have actual ties on them, because people, you know. One of the biggest things that people say, well, I don't go to church because all they ever want, all they want is my money. They're always asking for money. Yeah, well, I tell people we need to give and we need to tithe, but we're not asking for your money at any time. Matter of fact, I rarely even talk about the box. I've had people come to church, you know, three or four days, and go, well, where do I, where do I put my offering? Oh, in that box in the. Now we've got it on the in the bulletin. If they read the bulletin, it tells them to put their offering in there. And we've got it on the PowerPoint slides. Put your offering in the back, but. I just don't number one, I don't really want the money of visitors. It's not their church. I really don't care if a visitor gives money or not. This is the first time in every church been today, they always had an offering thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't want it to be something where people are feeling obligated to give. If they want to give, I want them to give. And so when people ask, I'll tell them right where it's at, and we've got all kinds of different ways to tell them. But most people don't read the bulletin or the or the powerpoints, uh, you know. So they'll ask where to put it, and we'll tell them where to where, where the offering goes. But again, when it comes to a visitor, I really don't want their money. This isn't their church. I want them to give to to wherever God has made their church. Now, for those of us who belong to this church, this is our church. I expect us to give. Yeah. But I'm still, not, I'm still not out there watching, okay, who's giving, who's not giving. I don't, I don't care. Uh, it's not that important to me because this is God's church. God knows, who doesn't. God knows who's giving and who's not giving, and he also knows how much we need, and he knows how to give us what we need. And this is his church. He'll make sure that it's all taken care of. But we need to be able to say this is what he's done. Now we have online giving, if people wanted to give that way, we have the capacity to do online giving. And right now it's not being used. And on one side, I really don't care that we don't use it because we get charged for using online giving. So it's, you know, they, you know, just like anybody, any business that takes a credit card, you get charged for the the privilege of using a credit card machine. Usually it's only anywhere from 0.7% to one or 2%. Oh, no, 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 they, they, just like we have to pay utilities and water and all that, uh, if you take online gifts, you have to pay for the privilege of taking online gifts. Uh, but it's a way that some people want to give, so we make it available. Uh, so far we haven't done it, and I'm not, I'm not pushing it because I really don't want to see it used that much because uh, I don't really want to lose the money that comes there, but if people want to, it's available. And if it's choices, of them, Giving online or not giving, give it, give it online. Because <laughs> that's at least something coming to us. And uh, so we look at this, and this is the money it was given to the workers. And then interesting in verse thirteen, howbeit they were not made for the house of the Lord, bowls of silver, snuffers, faissons, trumpets, any vessels of gold or silver, for the money was brought that was brought into the house of the Lord. So in other words, What they were bringing in was not to be used for service. It was to be used for their building program. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Number one, all these other things should have been around. Now, they may have been lost over the years of not, not serving. But he's saying, but Josiah is saying, I want the building to be repaired. And he says, nothing else. You're not taking your pay out of it. You're not taking... We're not building anything that you need to minister out of this. He goes, We're repairing the temple. And the one thing it is, it doesn't tell us how long this project lasted. Nowhere does it tell us in there how long the project lasted for the repairing. But he kept it up. And but they gave it to the Lord in verse 14. But they gave it to the workmen that repaired thereon in the house. Verse 15, Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hands they delivered the money to be bestow, bestowed on the workers, for they dealt faithfully. So when they gave this money to them, they weren't asking for receipts. They weren't asking for proof of it being used correctly. Josiah is really depending on the integrity of these workers. And he says, I'm giving you money. And it would not be very hard to know whether they were using it right because you gave them money and nothing got done. You'd know that they weren't doing work. But very apparently these guys were doing very fateful work. They were attacking the job. They got paid and they immediately did it and they could see that it was being done. They saw that it was being cared for. And good workers, good craftsmen really do care about their reputation of their their work. If you're somebody who really cares about it, you're going to give a good quality job because you want the recommendation to the next job and you want people to, when they talk about you, to say, this person is a good worker. You want to hire this person. And this is one of the things that I look at. when, When I find somebody who's not a great worker, I just know I'm not recommending them. And they're in God's hands to be dealt with. And if they're a great worker, I'm more than happy to recommend them to anybody that needs, needs somebody in that, in that field. But these guys did their job. They did it well. And they, they did it so well that the king and the scribe and, and the high priest were saying, we're not asking for an accountability of it. You're doing, you're doing the job well. Now, I think this may be a little bit of naïve naivety in this as well, but it is what worked for them. They trusted them. They gave them money. They did the work. They're going, okay, it's, it, things are going well. Now verse 16 says, the trespass money and the sin money was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was the priest. So there were certain offerings that, they, that were brought in as offerings that God commanded and they said, and Josiah says, we're not taking that away from the priest. Probably Jehoiada said that. You know, These guys are probably told the king, okay, king, you can't take everything away from them. You've already taken a huge chunk of their income. But this money is what they're going to earn. This is the money they would give for, during the sin offerings and, and, the, and the trespass offerings. There was money that was involved in those gifts. And Jehoiada and the priest said, this money is going to be theirs. Right. They have to earn some money. We're not, we're not calling the priest in and making them work for nothing. <laughs> and that's a good, wise thing because if you tried to make them work for nothing, they wouldn't have shown up for work. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and it's the same thing today. If you don't pay somebody their, their wages, they're going to quit showing up for work. And basically, they're saying if you don't want to pay the, the Levites anything, they're not coming. So we're going to keep paying them. They're going to get their minimum wage out there. We're going to make sure that they get the sin offering and the the trespass offerings. They're going to get those uh, hides that they can tan and make money for. They're going to get their their portion of the sacrifice so that they can have food. Because that was their big part of their food was to get those sides of beef, the sides of the, the goat, and certain ones they could sell, certain ones they had to eat. You know, There was different rules depending on what, what offering it was. But that was the way they got paid. He's already taken a huge chunk of it. All the tithes and offerings belong to them, but they've taken that away. But he says these specific ones, we're not taking those away. Verse 17. Then Ahaziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it, and Ahaziel set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Josiah, Joash king of Judah took all the hallowed things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoiram and Ahaziah, his father's kings of Judah, had dedicated and his own hallowed things and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent it to Ahaziel king of Syria and he went away from Jerusalem. All right, Ahaziel is the king of Syria. Now, we remember that Jehu has been harassed by him, and he's been taking land from the northern kingdom up until this time, and now he's attacked Gath. This guy is a mighty warrior. He's he's winning battles. And after he defeats Gath, which is a city in in Philistia, he decides... Now it's time to go after Judah. And it's kind of interesting at this point because we do not see Joash doing what his good fathers did and going before God and asking for God's advice. He does what's right in his own eyes. He takes all the wealth of Jerusalem, all the wealth in the temple, All the dedicated things that have been put in there, which would be the shields and the the weapons and everything that have been been put in there and everything that was dedicated to God, everything out of his own treasury and pays off Ahaziel. What miracle would God have done if he had just approached God? We don't know and we never will know because he did what was right in his own eyes and Obviously, got enough wealth out of his out of his uh, city to be able to pay off Ahaziel and say, "I'm I'm buying you off. <laughs> you know, don't come to attack me." Now, uh, this is also a very dangerous thing because when you pay off an enemy, they usually come back for more payoff or 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 better or just take it and still t- attack, but. So he buys him off, and he does get him to turn away from Jerusalem. But now the city has nothing. The city has nothing. The temple has nothing. And this is a very sad thing. He is robbing God because he's taking all the dedicated stuff, all the stuff that was dedicated to God, that wasn't supposed to be taken back away from God. He's just looking in the temple and said, well, you know, my, my dad, my grandpa, my great-grandpa, and you know, actually further back than that, the, the names we're giving, they all put this stuff away for God. It's just sitting in the temple. It's really not being used. I think I'm going to take it back out and we're going to use it to buy off our enemy. We need to be careful about how we use God's money. Malachi says to people, why are you, God says, why are you robbing me? And they go, well, how have we robbed you? And you're going to tithe an offering. We as Christians oftentimes rob God. Well, God, you know, it just doesn't make sense that I give it to you and give it to the church when I have bills to pay. You know, I, I have to pay for my, car, my, my three cars and my boat and my, and my house and my, and my cable television and my... And my cell phone, and all these things that I have, God, you know, God, you know you want me to have all these things, so I can't give to the church. And unfortunately, there are many churches that don't handle their finances well either. I am thankful that this church is so generous that we give 20% away of everything that comes in to missions. I think that's an important step for us, that the church gives money back out as a church. And that... Yes, I make a little bit of money at the church, but I make a little bit of money. <laughs> and we, we reach out. We, we have the, all, the, all the pens we give out and the tracts we give out and all the ways that we reach out, to the, reach out to the community and to the world. We are invested into the Internet to be heard around the world. We're doing lots of things to, that is using God's money, as far as I'm concerned, wisely. And it's important to me that we use his money wisely and honestly, and that we put a, an, an accounting of that money to the people. So that they're confident of how we use the money that they give. It's very important. And here, jo, Josiah is ripping off God. Now God doesn't seem to punish him immediately, but there's punishment that comes. Verse 19, now if you want to read more about Josiah and all of this stuff, if you read in 1 uh, uh, Chronicles 18, you'll get, to, you'll get another added information on this. So, because the book of Kings is about Israel and Judah. Chronicles is just about Judah. So when, when we get to Chronicles, we'll go over all these kings all over, but we're not going to talk about the northern kingdom and their kings, other than maybe an occasional, this person is reigning there. We'll talk just about this, the, the the southern kingdom, uh, kingdoms, uh, kings. The story is pretty much the same in that in that section, but it does talk a lot more about it uh, in that section in in Chronicle in the Second Chronicles, excuse me, 23 and 24. Uh, and in verse 19, and the rest of the acts of jo- Joash. And all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose up and made a conspiracy and slew Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Silah. And Jashukar, the son of Shimeiath, and Johazabad the son of Somer, and his servants smote him, and he died. And they buried him with his father fathers in the city of David. And Amaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. Very interesting here. Joe's Joash is murdered by trusted trusted people. They conspire against him and they murder him. And then you know, I wonder when I read this, is it because he took all the stuff out of the temple of God and, and and took all the dedicated things and didn't honor God? And we know that when Jehudiah died, that he was not as good a king after that. He he slipped. And ultimately, sin has consequences. Always has consequences. When we do what we is right in our own eyes, we're going to suffer for it. When we go out and we purposely sin, we're going to suffer for that sin. Because sin always has consequences. And at 47 years old, Joash is going to die now he's reigning for 40 years longer than most of the kings or equal to most of the kings but he started at such a young age yeah. that he dies very young Now, if he had been able to reign as long as David or Solomon did he would have been reigning for 60, 70 years but because of the sin in his life judgment falls now God doesn't take the kingdom away from him because the promise from God is that somebody of, this, of David's seed is always going to sit on the throne and Joash is the only one left of that seed because Ahithophel, Athaliah, excuse me, tried to destroy the seed. So he's the only one living. So he had to reign long enough for, for sons and it says his son, Amaziah is going to reign after him. And he's going to be buried in Jerusalem. He's going to get the honors of being buried where the kings are buried. And the great halls and stuff, wherever wherever it is in Jerusalem that the kings are buried, he's getting the right to be buried with with his fathers. He's not being set aside. And God says, you're going to pay, but your son is going to reign. And I don't know if there was a prophecy or anything on it, but he knew better. From seven years old on till Jehadiah passed away, he was being raised by a priest, being taught the law of God, being taught to be jealous. And he was jealous. He was jealous for God. He wanted the temple to be restored. He wanted people worshiping God. They destroyed the temple of all, but they didn't destroy the rest of the temples. You know, so all of these things, and remember what he did to the temple of Baal, they turned it into an outhouse. Yeah, you know, and, but they didn't destroy the rest of the temples. And then he starts stealing from God's temple to pay off the, the enemy and buys off the enemy with not his own money, not with the taxes of the people, but he goes into the temple and takes everything that belongs to God to pay off the, pay off an enemy, to buy off an enemy, and the next thing we see is he's being, being killed by conspirators, traitors. Why did they do this? We don't know. We don't know why they did it because even in the other part, it doesn't give, give us the reason for it. But they stood up against their king and said, we're going to kill him. Now, could he have been too righteous for them? Could he have been making bad decisions and they were righteous? We don't know. We don't know why. Uh, he's fallen from his high spot when, when a dies, Jehoiada dies. But he is also going to face the consequences of it. And we need to really always understand, it may seem like we're getting away with something, Nobody knows what we're doing. We're getting away with it. God, you know, but God knows. And if we don't repent of that sin that we're committing, God will bring a consequence to it. It might be just opening it up and embarrassing us. You know, maybe our sin isn't so severe that it, it's going to cost us our life, but God says, I'm going to show you what your sin is going to cost you is your reputation. Some of these great evangelists have gotten caught up in immorality, adultery, and probably started as far, you know, with pornography. And they get caught up in it. And then God says, okay, fine. Let's let everybody that you minister to know your sin. And this is something that's very important to understand. When we sin... God is going to make sure that that sin is declared from the mountaintops, the rooftops, at least to those that we have any kind of relationship with. So the higher your relationship is, the more that you have to be accountable to. And these evangelists that are worldwide known, their sin is going to be worldwide known. There are pastors who have fallen from that same exact thing, but only their church knows. But you know what? That's a pretty embarrassing thing for your church to know that you've done something of that nature. And it usually destroys the ministry, your ministry at the very least and can very drastically harm the church. But God wants purity. He's not worried about the reputation of individuals. He's worried about his reputation. And he wants purity for his reputation. And Joash is going to end up being murdered. And we don't know, the only thing we know is that he took God's money. And I don't know that that's the reason he's going to have this happen, but it sounds like a good enough reason to me. <laughs> he took God's money to buy off the enemy rather than going into prayer. Now, it could be possible that if he prayed, God might have said, go ahead and take that money and, and pay off the... But I think God would have done a miracle, just as he had done for, for Jehoshaphat when he destroyed the enemies coming at him, or just as he did for uh, these other men that were listed on that that where he did miracles for them. They're surrounded and and the angel kills and kills 180,000 soldiers in one night. Uh, He he creates a field uh, and confuses the enemy and they all kill each other. What would have happened if he had prayed to God rather than trying to buy off the enemy? But it is so easy for us to do what is right in our own eyes trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths unfortunately myself and most of us like to do what's right in our own eyes God this is this is really the way to do it and this is God if, you know, God if you just know if you read all the business manuals this is how they say to do it now, so I'm just, following what, I'm just following what everybody says to do yeah, you know, God. You know, all the businessman will say that when you're doing when you're doing something, use other people's money. In other words, borrow. And God says, don't borrow. You now, technically, He doesn't say don't borrow. But he says you're the servant of the lender. There's nothing good said about borrowing in the Bible. Uh, uh, so that indicates to us that God doesn't want us borrowing because He's our Father. He wants to provide us with what we need if we will just go to him and say god this is what i need and it's very important here in america we don't go to god with our needs we go to the bank and borrow money we don't we just go god i need a car i'm go, go to the bank and borrow the money i need a house go to the bank borrow the money and we think well make, i've got my job it's good enough and mostly it is. We, most, of us, most of us can pay off our bills as we go along. And, but, you know, how much more money could we give to God if we would quit going into debt? You know, there are times when I want to give more money to God and I'm going, well, God, you know, I'm giving you all this money and I do give him, I give him more than the, the 10% tithe. But, you know, I look at it and say, God, it would be so much nicer if I could give you a lot more money but I'm paying off two cars, we're paying off a house. I messed up, I got debt. And Now, the debt for my house is not bad because we ended up paying our, our mortgage is less than the rent was. <laughs> so that was a, probably a good decision. But did I need to go into debt for two cars? I'm not sure that I needed to. I wanted two nice cars because of how many miles I put on it, but I'm not sure that it was the best deal. And there's times when I look at that money and going, God, this is a pain in the neck to make these payments. And I'm looking forward to the day that they're paid off. In just a couple of years, they'll be paid off. And then I'll start paying myself a little bit of money to buy in the next next car that needs to replace them. I'm not going to go into debt again. But it's very important for us to say, God, are we going to listen to the way you want things done or are we going to do it the way the world says to do it? And the world says, you want it, go get it. You know, there's always somebody out there that give you, give you will give you credit, will give you a loan to buy the stuff. And we need to be very careful about how we spend our money, how we spend God's money. And that's very important for us to understand. It is God's money that he gives to us and allows us to use. And we need to always remember that we are stewards of his money. And it's his money uh, that he allows us to use. So when he asks for a tie that should not be a big deal, we're just giving him back part of what he's given us. Uh, but that's not usually the way we think of it. We think of it as our money that we're giving God a little portion of instead of giving God the portion of his money that he gave us to take care of. And there's nothing wrong with spending money on yourself. Don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to go buy a nice house or a nice car or, or nice things. But are we dealing with God's money wisely? Are we using it correctly, Josiah takes from the temple to buy off a king, thinking that he's done a great thing. And the next statement that we read in the, in, the, in, the, in the account is that he's executed by conspiracy and his son gets to take the throne. That's quite a consequence. And most of the time, consequences for sin is not death but it can be. I've seen people who have had that consequence, especially those that are into drugs and alcohol or whatever, or, or even fornication and adultery might lead that way if they get AIDS or, or some disease or get, get hold of, especially if they get in adultery and get a je- jealous boyfriend or a jealous husband after them or a jealous, a jealous uh, wife or girlfriend after them, and all of a sudden they end up losing their life over it. Or getting hurt so bad that they wished they had lost their life. Sin has consequences. Taking out debt has consequences because we cannot give what we want to to God because we owe somebody money. And that person expects to be paid and deserves to be paid because God does say, Pay back. If you borrow, He says you pay it back. So we have to pay them back if we borrow. But God nowhere says that borrowing is a good idea. He wants to be the one that supplies our needs. And he says, I will supply all your needs. And he will supply all of our needs. He's Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. He provides anything that we need if we're just patient. The problem with myself and most of us, patience is not something most of us have a a high, a high amount of. When God doesn't do something for us yesterday, we're, we're upset with him. And God says, I will provide in my time. When you need it, he will provide. And we need to be able to understand that he is the one that is going to provide. He is going to keep us as long as we do things his way and honor him in all that we do. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you, Lord, to help us to... Follow you correctly all the days of our lives, Lord. Help us to finish well. Josiah did not finish well, and many characters in the Bible did not finish well, Lord. We ask that you allow us to finish well, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloridebaptistchurch, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.